I love it when art, because art can do this like nothing else. I love it when art goes right to our soul. We've all read great poets, right? And you go, that's exactly what I'm feeling, but I couldn't express it. Y'all ever felt that before, what we just heard? This desire for greatness, and yet you stall out. Anybody ever stalled out before? I think that's why, one of the reasons why there are so few models of greatness. There's a lot of mediocrity. Very few get greatness. And I think it's because we do struggle to stall out. But I have good news today. That song is also true. And that is, we are still far from over. We're still far from over, right? Years ago, I was sitting with Susie and she said, um, it takes a lifetime to surrender a life. That's something to chew on right there. It takes a lifetime to surrender a life. Dr. Anders Ericsson, back in 1990, wrote a book, and he said that it takes 10,000 hours. This became, it's almost like everybody knows about this if you're in the business world at all. He says it takes 10,000 hours, 20 hours for 50 weeks a year, for 10 solid years of deliberate practice to become an expert at almost anything. How many of you guys have ever heard that before? You guys ever heard that? So it takes, if you want to be an expert, if you want to be great at something, it's going to take you 10,000 hours. Now, it's interesting because if you look that up, 1990, a lot of commentary, right, on his theory. And, And what you'll see here is he even argues, and this is important, that the secret of winning or becoming great is deliberate practice where an expert coach takes you through well designed training over months or years. And you give it your full concentration. See, so it's not just 10,000 hours. I mean, some people can put 10,000 hours in and they're no better off than when they first started. (laughs) If you're going to become great, it's far from over. And as we talk about our greatness here today, it's good news that you're far from over. But if we're going to get there, we need a great coach. And then we also need great commitment. It takes both those things. Well, here's the good news. On one side, we have a great coach, okay? You've got somebody. Listen to this. Paul said this in Philippians chapter one. He says, I thank my God every time that I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and now listen to this, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Isn't that good news? So he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion. For anybody who's had partnership in the gospel, he says, well, what's the partnership in the gospel? When he says that God began a good work in you, what work did God actually begin? Well, the gospel is simply that Jesus came to take away the sin, to take away our, our devotion to selfish ambition, where we care more about ourselves than God or others. He, came, he takes that away. He reconciles us. Instead of being separated from God, we get brought back together with God, and this is the beauty, and then he fills us with his spirit. See, that's the gospel. That's the good work that God did. That's what he began. The first thing he does when you partner in the gospel is he takes away your sin and he replaces it with his spirit. So Jesus Christ, 
right? We, we looked at him. We look at him all the time. But in this series, as we've looked at Jesus, here's one way I've been saying it. In Jesus Christ, we finally got to see what it means to be human. He's the one who finally revealed to us humanity is. And by that, I mean, we finally get to see how to relate to God and how to relate to each other. Because humanity is all about relationship. Jesus is what it looks like when the human spirit is joined together with the divine spirit. And when you see that, you see the glory of God, and that's the gospel. Susie was reading a book by Frederick Beekner this week, and she said, listen to this quote. She goes, the gospel, this good news of having everything taken away and the Holy Spirit coming in, this gospel is not only good and new, but if you take it seriously, it's holy terror. Jesus never claimed that the process of being changed from a slob into a human being, come on, you got to chuckle at that one, from a slob to a human being was going to be a Sunday school picnic. This idea of becoming great that we're far away from greatness. It's not easy, but it's so good. So as we jump into our final message on this series, Make 2016 Great, remember we started off and it said, in your relationships, have the same mind as Jesus. In your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, at work tomorrow morning, right here at K2, and in your relationship with God, you got to have the same mind as Jesus. And if you do, it'll be great. So today, we're ending it by talking about the commitment to greatness. Because again, all of us in this room, we're far away, okay? We're far away from it. But you got to have a good coach, and we got one in Jesus, and now you and I have to decide, am I going to commit to being great so that I can have everything that God wants us to be? All right? So I'm going to pray as well. Let me just, I'm going to jump into the word and then, and then let's pray. God, thank you that your desire for every person in this room, the truth is you're great. And the truth is you see greatness in every one of us in this room. And I pray on behalf of everyone who's here, that your Holy Spirit would be so present right now that we would hear your voice revealing to us the secret, the mystery of how you can make us great. And we pray for it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so again, if you have your Bibles, we've been in John chapter 13. We're gonna finish the story. So again, uh, grab your paper Bible if you got one or uh, version, or if you haven't downloaded K2's app, it's a free app. And every Sunday morning, our scripture and my points are on that app, okay? And you can get that out right now. So we're, we're concluding the story, right, where Jesus gets down and he washes his disciples' feet. Takes off his outer clothing, puts a towel around his waist. He's already washed his feet, the, the disciples' feet. We talked about last week, and here we go. Last, last part of the story, verse 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? You guys remember last week? Greatness always runs into misunderstanding. So again, he's asking that same question. He asked it last week, he's gonna ask it. Do you guys understand what I just did for you? You call me teacher and Lord, 
and rightly so, because that is what I am. Now, that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So anybody in here, who wants to be blessed? Right? I love it, man. It's so cool because every service, human nature, blessed in. I'm in, baby. Right? I like that blessing piece. That's why I come to church. It's so cool. How great is it to know that you have a God today who wants to bless you? He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless every relationship that you're in. It's so, so cool. All right? So let's get to this. Why would you want to commit to greatness and the, and the first point here, even if you're here this morning and you don't buy Jesus or, or if you're just checking out Christianity and if you're just trying to seek after, could this be who he really is? I don't care what faith you are. I don't care what background you are. I think as we go through this first point, why would any human being want to commit to greatness? Okay? Here's why. We're going to talk to all, everybody on the planet today. Because, number one, you'll be blessed. <laughs> If you do this, and I think it's pretty obvious, okay? In John, in John chapter 13, verse 17, he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So see, so gaining knowledge, knowing some things is really important because if you don't know things, then you can't do them. So let's just talk about this. After five weeks, okay, talking about greatness, hopefully we know these things, okay? That's how Jesus says, he's talking to us, you know these. What do we know? Let me do a recap really quick because this is important. Number one, we know that Jesus is the great one. So if we're going to look at greatness, we look at the life of Jesus Christ. And what the Bible said is, it says he emptied himself and took on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to God all the way to being willing to be crucified on the cross. And then this very important word, therefore, because he emptied himself and humbled himself and became a servant, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. He is great because he was never about himself. Greatness is death to yourself and alive to love to everyone else around you. And I'm telling you, man, you'll be blessed if you get this. And then Susie talked to us about his disciples who'd been with him for three years come up and go, well, Jesus, we want to be great. We want to be at your right hand. And he's going, you guys have no idea what you're asking. Because <laughs> if you really want to be the greatest, then you have to be the servant of all. So to be human and to be great, it's the humans who serve in God's kingdom. That's what greatness is. So then we jumped into this John 13 story. And what else do you know? Because Jesus said, if you know these things, then what do you know? We talked about that greatness flows out of identity. It said that Jesus knew that he had everything from the Father. He knew where he had come from, and he knew where he was going. And so, because he knew his identity, that he was absolutely loved as the Son of God, and that this world wasn't his home, he served because he knew who he was. And here's what's so cool, is all of us in this room, 
If you're going to be great, your greatness flows out of identity. And here's what you can know. You can know that you have everything. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. Everything. You can know that you are loved perfectly and infinitely and eternally by a God who calls you his child. And you can know that this is not your home and that you're going to be leaving this place and you can be prepared for the one that Jesus has. You can know those same things. And if you get those things, your, your greatness will begin to flow from that identity. And then last week, we talked about how greatness begins with receiving. This is not so important. This is not about you trying to make yourself great. Jesus says, you can have no part of me, and I'm the great one. You can have no part of me unless I wash you. In other words, unless I actually change you. Quit trying to make yourself great because then you'll just turn into a self-righteous person who thinks he's better than everybody else. Humble yourself and let me wash you. Let me wash away your sin and let me put a new spirit inside you. You guys, Christianity is not about you trying to make yourself good. It's about confessing the truth that you're not and then receiving the goodness of God. Okay? Did you get that? So now, Jesus says, look at it again, verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you what? You got to do them. So here we go. Now I just want to tell you, so if he says you'll be blessed, there's three ways, okay, that God blesses you. Because again, this is all about relationships. Number one, you'll be blessed in your relationship with God. So the Bible says, if we live by the Spirit, if the Spirit is the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, if it's his Spirit that now comes in my spirit, he goes, if you'll just stay in step with my Spirit, he goes, then you're going to really live. So can I just ask you a question this morning? Do you feel this morning a distance from God? Do you believe that he's there, but he's just like... He's just not even anywhere near. Do you feel kind of spiritually impotent right now? Do you find your soul just kind of empty? See, when the Bible says be filled with his spirit. See, one of the things that we can understand then is if his way, if God is saying, here's my way, and if you keep in step with my spirit, guess what happens? My spirit and your spirit, they go like this. And then I empower you to live a great life. So here's what you can know right now. If Jesus says, serving is my way, then he's going, and if you do it, you'll be blessed. Why? Because you'll stay close to God. And his presence is everything, you guys. It's everything we're looking for, okay? So if any of you in this room, me included, man, I want to be blessed in my relationship with God. Well, then Jesus says, then do these things, and you will be. You will. Number two, you'll be blessed in your relationships with others. The Bible says that selfish ambition is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Think about that. But this kind of makes sense, right? If Jesus comes and shows, hey, here's what's godly. It's when you put others above your self. If that's what godly is, then when you're putting yourself above others, that's just the opposite. And therefore, Jesus, it's just demonic. And I think we would get this because the Bible says it's there that you find disorder and chaos of every kind. So what's the problem in our world today? Why are there wars and fights? Why all over the world are we killing each other and destroying each other? 
Why are our marriages struggling so bad to keep together? What is it that caused division in churches all over the place? See, God is saying, listen, if you want your marriage to be blessed, if you want this church to be blessed, if you want to be a blessing to this world, then the way that you get blessed is you don't live for yourself. You actually serve one another. And Jesus says, man, if you do these things, you're going to be blessed. I want to tell you, your marriage matters to God. Your workplace matters to God. And the third thing is this, how else are you going to be blessed? In your relationship with God, in your relationship with others, you will be blessed in the depth of your soul. See, because when this becomes your goal, think about this. If your goal is to be great, anybody who wants to be great? Now look at this. If you make this your goal to be great, nothing and no one can stop you. Now, if, you're, if, you, if you take the kind of the worldly definition of greatness and it means getting this position or being chosen or being first string, right? Or being uh, first chair or, or all that. There's always people who can stop that from happening, right? How many of you have ever been thwarted in being great, right, in this world? We all have. But when Jesus says that greatness is actually serving one another, who can stop you from doing that? What's the answer? Everybody say it. Who can stop you? No one. How good is that for your own soul? Why are some of us today so depressed? Why are some of us so anxious? Why are some of us so empty? Because somebody else thwarted our goal. When Jesus says, guess what, you guys, you'll be blessed if you do, if you make your goal to be great like me and serve no one will ever stop you, and you'll be able to do it. So, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So why, do, why commit to greatness again? So let's just talk about this real quick, because it's really the way to be human. Every human being is seeking, how can I have good relationships with each other? How can I be full as a human being? And Jesus showed us this. So look at John 13, 15. He says, I have set you an example of how to be human that you should do as I have done for you. Now keep that up there. How many of you hate the word should? Anybody else should? You know, you know we all do, you know, because who likes to be told, hey, you should do this? I say this a lot at Ken, or here at K2 as well. Lots of times we do, man, I should, and I should do this, and I should do that, and, and I'll say, quit shouldn't on yourself, right? <laughs> but what does this word mean? Should or ought. It simply means... When something is wrong or ineffective or it's unproductive, right? You look at that situation and you go, hey, you should try something else. <laughs> so who, who wants to be ineffective? Who wants to be unproductive? Nobody. So somebody comes along and says, well, you should do this. So should is actually always tied to what is right, effective, and productive, so let me give you an easy example. My, my daughter, Ashlyn, she's a great little basketball player. I mean, she's, she's a good athlete, and she really has this talent and ability. She's got a sweet-looking shot. When I look at it, she's got it right up here, man. She's got the wrist follow-through. She's got the whole thing. The problem is she never makes anything, okay? And so she comes to me, and she goes, Dad, how come my shots don't go in? And I go, I don't know. So we went to the gym one day, and I just really watched her really closely, 
Now, if you guys play basketball, you know this. Here's what I finally saw. Everything was perfect except her elbow was way out here. And then when she went to shoot, it would go like this, right? So all I said was, hey, Ashlyn, here's what you should try. Just bring your elbow in. Try that. Do that. And sure enough, all of a sudden, her shots just started going straight. And what did she say? She goes, oh, this feels so weird. Have you ever had to try to do something different, right? But I, I remember in, in golf, I am the king of slice. Any other slicers out there with me when you play golf? So one year, years ago, I had a buddy who took me alongside. He was a golf pro. And he said, hey, I'll, I'll give you a lesson. I mean, fantastic. So here's what he did. He videotaped my shot, right? So I'm swinging. He videotapes me. And then he sticks Nick Faldo right here on a screen. And he sticks me on the screen right here. Okay, some of you are already laughing. So here's what goes on. Slow motion. He shows my swing. And halfway through, he goes, look at that. He goes, you are exactly in line with exactly with, with Nick Faldo's swing. And then all of a sudden, his swing does this, and mine goes like this. And so he looks at it, and I'm telling you, when you could see that, he goes, all right, so here's what you should do. You know what's so cool? So we went outside, and for a half hour, man, he just worked on this, and I changed that thing that I should try. And by the end of the day, my shot was with a nice little draw right in the center. It was awesome. Can I just ask you something? Why should you do something new? Because when you do, you'll be blessed. Can I tell you, man, it's a whole lot more fun hitting the ball down the fairway. <laughs> it's a whole lot more fun making the shot. It's a whole lot more fun being in a relationship that's healthy where both people are serving one another instead of figuring out how they can be served. So here's the beautiful thing. Why commit to greatness, all of us? Because if you take this on in your relationships, it will produce glory and you'll be blessed. All right? That's number one. That's what Jesus tells us. Number two, why commit to greatness? And now here, now I'm just going to talk specifically to all of us in this room who say we're Christians. Okay? If you would say, if someone said, hey, you're a Christian, and you go, yes, I am. I follow Jesus Christ. Okay? This next point's for us. Why should you commit to greatness? And it's because Jesus is your Lord. Because Jesus is your Lord. Okay, look at what he says. Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, isn't that interesting? So if you think about what, what a teacher, right? By definition, if someone is a teacher, and then you are a what? A student. Now, here's our problem. In our culture, that means a teacher sits up there, I sit at a desk, listen to them and decide whether I want to do anything with this or not, right? I just spit back information. In that culture, if you had a teacher, you weren't just a student, you were a, an, excuse me, apprentice. You were an apprentice. When you had a rabbi, that's what teacher meant, you were a disciple. A teacher meant you were an apprentice. And what you were doing was, you were trying to glean everything you could from that person so that you could live exactly how they lived. So Jesus says, hey, if you're a Christian today, he goes, you call me teacher. How many of you would call Jesus your teacher? Okay, if he's your teacher, then that means you're an apprentice. 
And then he says, I, you also call me your Lord. Another word here, he calls it your master. If he's the master, if he's the Lord, then what are you? Then you're a servant. So by very definition, Jesus starts off and goes, can I just tell you what it means to be a Christian? Because he says, you call me teacher and Lord. And then what does he say? You're right. That is who I am. And then he goes on to say, now that I, your Lord and teacher, since I'm that for you, Christians, and I, since I have washed your feet, you also should wash. And this is really interesting. Whose feet? One another. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say, Jesus doesn't go, hey, since I wash your feet, you should wash my feet. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. He goes, no, since I wash your feet, you should wash each other's feet. And then he goes on, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And here's what we find about greatness, being a servant. It's how you are truly Christian. It's the only way to know that you're truly Christian. Because Jesus says, if I'm your teacher, you're my apprentice. If I'm your Lord, you're my servant. So basically that means you follow me. And since this is what I do, if you're truly Christian, this is what you do. In verse 16, what's he say? Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, every time you read the Bible, if you're reading the NIV, if you can go back uh, there, Marielle, real quick to the beginning of the verse. Very truly, every time you see this in the Bible, what it's saying in the Greek, and some of your translations say this, in the original language, language it's truly, truly. And in that culture, anytime someone said very truly or truly, truly, it meant I am I mean this. I, it's strong emphasis. And for Jesus, it's like what he's saying is, I'm going to reveal to you reality. I'm going to reveal to you what is actually true. And so what he says is, no servant's greater than his master. So basically what Jesus is saying is, if I do this, if I wash your feet, how can you call me teacher and Lord and master if you don't? Because no student is greater than their teacher. And no servant is greater than their master. So you guys, all you Christians in here, are you truly, truly Christian? Because what you're saying is, I follow Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my teacher. Now, I don't do what he says. Right? Do you guys see, how, see that? And he goes, can I tell you the truth? There's another place where he says, if you hold to my teaching, then you're my disciple. And then you'll know the truth. And the truth will, everybody say it, set. Oh, man, you know that. Isn't that cool? See, you know that part. Because we all want to be free. But what he's saying is very truly, listen, greatness is who I am. But if you can't call me Lord and teacher, and then not serve. So, uh, the, so what's interesting is, why? Why do we struggle? Because here's what I know, and I feel it, and I want to tell you, I wish I could be as vulnerable. I wish you could just hop in my heart, in my head. Because during this whole series, I'm going, I hate this. Did anybody else hate this? Okay, a bunch of liars. You just, 
No, seriously, here's what I know. In my flesh, I don't want to go home and be the servant all the time. When you go to work, how many of you are like, man, I can't wait to be on the bottom of this and just lift everybody else up. No, we're going, oh, dude, he didn't, he checked out early, you know. He didn't put away the garbage. Why am I going to put away the garbage? He didn't, I mean, that's what we're like. So why are we like, why at home, when there's a task or a chore, don't our kids fight to be the first one who gets to do it? <laughs> and it's a lot easier to laugh at our kids. Men, why don't you fight to be able to do the dishes at the end of the day? Why don't we do that? Because somehow we believe that that's not great, man. That's not going to fill me up. Why is it at work tomorrow when there's a serving opportunity? Do we do everything we can to avoid it or do as little as possible so we can at least justify that we can? Well, I put my name up there, right? We don't really want to serve. Why not if that's what greatness is? Why here at K2 The Church? When we offer opportunities to serve, and I'm going to tell you, after 11 years here, there have been times when, when, when and I'm, man, I'm going to, I can't wait to stand before Jesus someday. This is going to be really fun. But when, when, when sometimes we'll offer positions of our opportunities to serve here at the church, and I almost feel like we have to do it apologetically. Because there's actually repulsion sometimes. Will you guys quit asking us to do stuff? That's what will happen. And I want to go, and now as I've been doing this message, and I see what Jesus is going, so basically what we're saying is, would you guys stop helping us get a promotion? Would you stop giving us, this is the greatest opportunity for the most incredible retirement plan you will ever have with unbelievable benefits. And yet, when serving opportunity rises, we go, uh-uh. Remember Peter? You going to watch my, no. What's inside of us? that doesn't want to serve our spouse more than ourselves? Why do we want someone else to do the menial tasks when our Lord and teacher, that's all he does? I tell you, man, this, can I just tell you? This is how you can know there's a spiritual battle raging. There is. There is a spiritual battle the Bible, Jesus could not be more clear. There is an enemy who seeks and prowls and he wants to devour you like a lion. And I want to tell you right now, he hates your marriage. He hates any time two people love each other deeply. And so what he gets us to believe is somehow we've been taught through our whole life, if I fight for my rights, my life's going to be better. How's that working for you? You want to cause conflict, like the Bible says? That is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's there that you find chaos and disorder of every kind. And yet still, for some reason, we believe that if I look out for me, it's going to be better. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle for this church. The last thing our enemy wants is for this church to be great to be serving each other so intimately and deeply and so serving this community that everybody out there goes, what in the heck is going on at K2 The Church? Who are these people? But I tell you, if all of us were looking for opportunities to give ourselves up and do that, it would be such a beautiful community. He doesn't want that to happen. I want to tell you, every time there's a chance to serve, and you and I feel it all the time, I'm God, so honest about this, every time you feel no, it's a spiritual battle for your soul. 
And he wants to set you free. Jesus wants to set you free from this. I read this quote. Nate, maybe help me find. It might be from E. Stanley Jones. Listen to this. Jesus cannot use people that have, been, that have inoculated themselves with a mild form of Christianity to keep themselves from catching the real thing. Can I read that again? Jesus can't use people that have inoculated themselves with a mild form of Christianity to keep themselves from catching the real thing. Oh, you guys, all over the world, there's so much horrific, like the enemy spiritually, we read the stuff that's going on in the church and all around the world and it's just so bad. You know what I think the enemy's scheme is in America? In America, it's like, let me just keep them mediocre, man. Let me inoculate themselves with a mild form of Christianity. Yeah, you know, if I feel like it. If I'm not too busy. If it's good for me. And we call that Christianity. And Jesus goes, can you show me where I live like that? Can you show me any time ever where I just made decisions that were based on what was good for me? You can't. And we follow him. But in America... We inoculate ourselves with this mild form. And I think that's why Jesus said, I, in, in the last book of the Bible in Revelation, he says, I so hate lukewarm faith that I spit it out of my mouth. He goes, I wish you were just hot or cold. Really, seriously, just be cold. Don't claim my name and then not live like me. Because then the rest of the world goes, why in the world do I want anything to do with that? If you're going to be a Christian, then be hot. So you guys, you guys following this? So this is what it is. This is greatness. And let's not inoculate ourselves with a mild form. And here's what happens. You never catch the real thing. No, oh, I want to tell you, that's when I finally gave my life to Christ. And I went back to the church. I'm like, wait a minute, do these people know the same Jesus I do? Why are we so, why are we so down? Where's the life? It only happens when you fully surrender your life to him and live like he lived. So, as we close here, and I find my last page, there we go. This is how you can know. That's how I know. I have to be saved. I finally realized the only way I'm gonna live for the greatness that the kingdom of God displays, and that's why I think Jesus said, you can't even enter my kingdom unless you're born again. You've got to receive my spirit or you will as a human being. And you guys, we will as humans always be bent towards thinking about ourselves first. We always will be. And Jesus came to save you from that, to bless your marriage, to bless your soul, to bless your friendships, to show us what it could be like on this planet if we were filled with the love of God. So, as the band comes up and we close today, John 13, 15, Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then I, I immediately thought of this other verse, John, Ephesians 5. Okay, listen, follow you guys. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Don't miss that part. How could Jesus do this? He knew he was dearly loved. 
You need to know I already have everything. I don't have to prove anything to God. I don't have to try to be good. I have to simply believe I am so freaking loved. Because once you're a dearly loved child, now you can start to be an example. Like follow God's example. And then verse 2 says, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now that you know these things, what greatness really is, you'll be blessed if you do them. I've set you example, follow me. So here's my question for you today. Will you follow his example? Will you do as he has done for you? Now, we're gonna do something here today that's a little bit different. And I, I hesitated a lot this week because it's different. But man, 9.30 was fantastic. So as you can see on the, on the stage here, Susan and I emptied out our house. All of our cushions and pillows and stuff are down here on, on the floor. And, and here's what I gotta remind you. Here's what can happen today. You're human. And to be human is to be physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. That's what it is to be human. And so what happens is, if you guys remember this, right? Like, so if you're going to act on something, if you're going to actually do something, which is the physical piece, remember this? Your emotions move you to do those. And that's why these emotions rise up and we go, man, I don't want to serve. And so we don't serve. But you also have thoughts. But remember at the, at the core, it's like, but what you believe. And I want to tell you, your physical, emotional, intellectual, God, understand this, you are spiritual. You have a soul. And here's what's, this, this changed my life. Your soul, at the depth of your being, it's where your will is. And your will is actually stronger than any other part of you. Think about this. You've all had thoughts. And you can be having thoughts in your head, and yet you can tell yourself to stop thinking those thoughts. Right? You, there's a deeper part of your being that can correct your thinking. You can actually change the way that you think. And this changed my life forever. For so long, being an emotional person, I thought I was a slave to my emotions. And when I would feel something, I just felt like, well, then I gotta do it. You, your will is stronger than how you feel. Do you guys know this? You can tell your feelings, shut up. You can tell your feelings, I'm not going to listen to you. This is how God designed us as humans. There's a deeper part of you. And I want to tell you, if you want to be great in your marriage and at work and in the church, today you have to decide in your will what you're going to do. And I know that in my Christian walk, 
It has never been just hearing messages that's changed me. It's never changed me. The only time it changed me is when I finally knew these things and I made a decision at the core of my being. when I met God and that is a step of faith and that is when you're changed so your Lord and Savior your teacher took off his outer garments and got down on his knees and he took these dirty feet took the humblest place he could and he washed and your Lord and your teacher was stripped naked, was beaten to a pulp, thorns crushed in his head, stakes through his arms because he wanted to serve you. He wanted to save you. And he set you that example. Will you do as he has done. So here's what I felt like God laid on my heart. We put these out here because as we sing and we do our worship here now, I think every one of us, you may have an area in your heart right now where you know you need to confess to God. You need to make a choice today. I'm going to serve my bride. I'm, from this day forward, I'm gonna confess to God that I have been all about me and I'm gonna serve my bride husband. And some of you, I think you may need to come down. You may need to grab the hand of your spouse and you might need to come down and kneel together and say, honey, I confess not only to God, to you, and I'm sorry. I have not been following Jesus. I have not been living for greatness, but I'm changing on this day. I'm confessing so he can wash me clean so I can walk out of here very different. Some of you guys who are bosses, you oversee people at work tomorrow and you've been using them for your own gain. And you know right now, no longer, man. I'm gonna walk into work tomorrow, I'm gonna confess that to God and I will be different. Those of us who are just employees, you're an employee, but you've been having a critical spirit. You watch and see what everybody else does, no more. You're gonna walk in free from yourself tomorrow morning. And you're going to be different because right here, you're going to do business with God and with your will, you're going to surrender it to him and say, you are my teacher and my Lord. For those of you guys who call K2, if somebody said, where do you go to church? And you say, K2 is my church. If you go here and you've never served, do you guys know what the church is? It's his bride. It's, it's his body. And so if you just go to church, I think that's the inoculation. Jesus is saying, I gave every one of you who are Christians a gift to serve my bride. And some of you need to get down here on your, on, down here and say, Jesus, I have not been following you. I've, this has all been about me. No more. Do you guys catch this? So on this day, if you do something in your will, here's what I know. It will change you. Jesus, when you surrender, he will fill your heart. For some of you, that's what it's going to be. I've never let Jesus be a part of me. I've never believed in him. And everything around me has fallen apart. I'm going to surrender to him today. I'm going to get on my knees just like he did. And I'm going to let greatness fill 
my soul. He loves you and he cares about you. Let's beat this battle today. Let's take the spiritual enemy and say, you're done with messing with me. I'm going to give my life to Jesus all out, okay? Let's stand together. At any time as we're worshiping, you feel free to come down and get on your knees like Jesus, like the one you follow, and just have your own time with him. Bring someone with you if you need to. You can even take these cushions and move them around if you need to find a more spacious place to do that. But I'm telling you guys, make 2016 great, all right? Let's worship him together.